Hackers who can't penetrate the cyber defenses of large corporations target small businesses and the cybersecurity weaknesses of medical devices. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. No organization is too small to be hacked. Smaller organizations are becoming a target more than ever before. That's Ashish Tapper. He's a managing principal at Verizon Enterprise Solutions. And Tapper was discussing the 2017 version of the Verizon Data Breach Report that's being released this week. He was talking with ISMG Associate Editor for Asia, Varun Haran. Tapper said the one thing that came out of the report loud and clear is the cyber threat small organizations face, saying that hackers are moving to softer targets. 61% of the victims analyzed were businesses with fewer than 1,000 employees. That's 61%, more than half of that number. Another thing is on the smaller medium businesses, it's important for them to be prepared because they could be the next side of target. Right? It's all about making the game difficult. The big boys are definitely making it difficult. So the next in line are the small and medium enterprises and they better be prepared to handle that wave when it hits them. So that's a big message for those companies that always ignore, uh, ah, we are too small, you know, uh, this is, we are not the target. We may not be the target. They may be the target for information that they hold themselves or more damagingly, they could be the targets to actually attack the bigger fishes by compromising their networks. Another key finding of the report is that manufacturers, governments, and educational institutions are the top targets for cyber espionage attacks. The primary motives for targeting these types of organizations is to obtain sensitive personally identifiable information, proprietary information, and intellectual property. With respect to education, there are a lot of universities across the globe that are doing a lot of research. That research information, although it could be in the nascent stages, but then, you know, it's like freebies up for grabs. If, if these institutions are not really protected good enough, they file for patents, they file for research, they invest a lot of money and time. On an overall level, I think I'll call the motives as uh, mainly getting access to intellectual property, getting access to residents and citizens' data, sensitive information, and obviously, uh, more importantly, sometimes to get a foothold in the in the victim to really sniff and uh, possibly sabotage. Unlike hackers who target organizations to steal personal data with a hit-and-run strategy to make a quick buck, actors involved in cyber espionage have demonstrated great patience because their ultimate goal isn't to make a profit but to gain a strategic edge against their adversaries and perhaps to cause havoc. Cyber espionage is where the threat actors are in the game for a long time. They are very well prepared. They are very well funded. They are far more skilled and having uh, abundance of resources at their disposal when they really do a cyber espionage attack. In the interview with ISMG, Tapper also discusses how malware is becoming a big business, much of it through ransomware. He also makes recommendations how organizations can prepare themselves to counter the risks detailed in the report. To hear the interview conducted by Varun Haran, go to InfoRiskToday.in. The ISMG Security Report continues after this. Keynote Panel. Cybersecurity in the Era of Donald Trump. That, plus the FBI, DOJ, and more industry influencers at ISMG's Breach Summit in Washington, D.C. Visit ismgcorp.com to register today. There's been a lot of talk about attackers hacking medical devices to cause harm to patients. So far, there's no evidence that such an attack has occurred. But that doesn't mean such fears aren't justified. 
Joining me to discuss the threat posed by the hacking of medical devices, my colleague, Healthcare Info Security Editor, Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. Just because there's never been a known attack on medical devices to cause patient harm, that doesn't mean there haven't been examples of cybersecurity failures, right? That's right, Eric. In one real-world incident, a cardiac catheterization unit reportedly shut down because the system's anti-malware software started to run in the midst of a heart procedure. While that wasn't a traditional cybersecurity attack, it caused a cybersecurity issue on the device that in some respects resembled the impact of an attack aimed to do harm on a patient. Stephanie Domas works with device makers as lead security engineer for research and development firm Battelle's Device Secure Services Unit, and here's her take on the situation. There's an example of something where kind of a cybersecurity weakness in the system, even though there was no malice, there was no direct attacker, it did have the ability to cause patient harm. And now in that case, the doctors were able to get the system back up and running and they finished the heart procedure. But there's an example of where even though I said attackers are not traditionally looking for ways to hurt people, they're looking for monetizable data. If these systems aren't built to be robust, to unknown or unexpected things, there still can be that patient harm as an unintended side effect. Medical devices have been used as entryways for hacking other hospital systems. What's behind those attacks? Like a lot of attacks on enterprise healthcare systems, or for that matter, systems run by other types of businesses and governments, threat actors seek information about individuals, data that they can monetize. Here again is Domas. One important thing to always consider when looking at cybersecurity is what's the motivation of an attacker? Why would they go after a medical system? Right now, the motivation is in something that they can monetize. How can they make money? And what that's come across as what we're seeing right now is they can make money with patient data. There have been verified attacks in the wild of attackers attempting to steal patient data through medical devices. While there are corner cases where an attack on a particular patient or patient safety may have a monetizable avenue to it, what you traditionally see is attackers looking for ways to profit. And right now, that's through patient data. Couldn't the fact that medical devices being hacked to gather information on patient information result in physical harm to the patient as well? Well, you can't rule out that hackers attacking a medical device either to gather patient information or as a means to gain access to a healthcare provider's systems could have the unintentional outcome of harming patients physically. But as far as we know, we haven't seen that yet, but experts haven't ruled that out. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. As information security threats intensify, organizations risk becoming disoriented. They're focused more on grappling with complex technology and explosion of data, increased regulation, and debilitating skills shortage. The rollout of EMV chip technology is just one piece of that and has changed the face of payment fraud. My ISMG colleague Tracy Kitten has been thinking a lot about this recently. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Eric. One reason that changing faces of fraud is on your mind is that besides being executive editor of Bank Info Security, you're also editorial director for ISMG events. And at each of our fraud and breach prevention summits, you've arranged for experts to discuss the evolution of payment fraud and the emerging threat landscape. What have you been hearing? 
Eric, in the wake of EMV, which is this chip card technology, fraud is clearly expected to migrate. Card not present fraud or e-commerce fraud is expected to grow, even though we've seen CMP fraud or card not present fraud growing for quite some time. According to Margaret Reed at Visa, who spoke at our recent San Francisco summit, card not present fraud has pretty much remained steady. But we can expect that fraud to grow, which is a big reason why Visa and others are pushing retailers to embrace tokenization, end-to-end or point-to-point encryption, along with stronger authentication methods such as biometrics. You'll see multiple types of biometrics being deployed. There's a lot of cultural situations around the use of certain types of biometrics that we need to be sensitive to. Also, different biometrics work for different channels, right? Obviously, you can't do a physical biometric if you're in a voice environment. So you can't do a fingerprint for those kinds of environments. We're going to see multiple forms of biometrics being used. The key is going to be able to accommodate all of those different types of biometrics and build it into the transaction process so that the issuers can deal with the different types that they're going to receive. So it's just the various organizations that are involved in this changing face of fraud or, or even consumers involved? Yeah, consumers are involved. In fact, another big push is to get customers more involved in fraud detection and prevention. Banking institutions in particular have been keen to get some of this out to consumers to get them more involved by offering text options or email options for alerts. The challenge, as Robert Zerby of Wells Fargo in San Francisco explains, is that institutions don't want to create too much friction that could adversely affect the customer experience. More and more, however, customers are willing to be inconvenienced. Nobody wants to be complicit with the criminal element. They don't want to fund criminal lifestyles. People just reflexively find that abhorrent, and rightfully so. Creating that awareness and having more of a message to be able to, whether it be through media, through online, to just reinforce that message periodically and just say, hey, we're doing a lot here. Help us out. Let's join together. Let's, let's take this as a team sport. At our upcoming Washington, D.C. summit, one of the speakers on this panel will be addressing how his organization is changing because of this evolving nature of the threat. Randy Vanderhoof works with an organization that reflects some of the changing perspectives we see in the payments arena. Vanderhoof, who for years has served as the executive director of the Smart Card Alliance, explains why the Smart Card Alliance recently decided to change its name to the U.S. Payments Forum, noting that smart cards do a lot more than just payments. Most people understand smart card technology to be the card that they carry in their wallet, either for payments or for transit or for their ID badge for access security and such. And that's always been kind of the core fundamental baseline of what the Smart Card Alliance has done. As mobile devices started to implement the embedded chip technology to support NFC payments and other mobile identity applications, and we started to see other form factors of card technology showing up in smart devices that are connected to the internet, we began to cover that aspect of the business as well and expand our role as educators and building awareness about the security benefit the technology brings. Vanderhoof will be participating in the next Evolution of Payments Fraud panel at the ISMG Summit in Washington, D.C. on May 16th and 17th. Tracy, who'll be joining him? John Bazard, who's a fraud expert at the Co-op Financial Services, and Roger Applewhite, who is a board member on the Electronic Funds Transfer Association and the Secure Remote Payments Council. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Washington, Tracy. Looking forward to seeing you as well, Eric, as always. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. (music) 